open your Bibles to uh, the, the book of John, the Gospel of John. And uh, what we're doing over the next uh, several weeks is we're looking at the life of Peter. Peter, an apostle. Peter, a servant of God. And we're going to look at different aspects of Peter's life. Uh, and we're going to kind of walk through Peter's life going up to the crucifixion of Christ, and then after the crucifixion of Christ, as, as we focus our, our hearts and thoughts toward Easter, we'll be looking at how this guy did it. And, and it's exciting to me to see what God can do with ordinary people. I mean, you could turn to the person next to you and say, you're kind of ordinary, because we all are kind of ordinary, aren't we? And, and God uses ordinary people. He doesn't rule out if you have too much money or you're too intelligent, he does, oh, I can't use you. No, he can, and he does, but he uses people that have the same kind of heartbeat, the same uh, troubles, trials, skills, difficulties. He uses all of us, and so we're going to look at how, a little bit of how he put the apostles together and and it connected with them. And then I, I want you to think about Peter and what Peter went through before Christ and then what Christ did in him and then what he did after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we won't do all that today, but we'll do that over the next several weeks, okay? Uh, and Peter lived by the sea. Uh, this is a picture from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, looking out across the Sea of Galilee, and, and Peter lived by the sea, and he saw the, the he was a fisherman. He uh, did net fishing in the sea. He went, and they cast their nets in, and they'd pull the nets up, and, and those are strong guys for the most part, uh, and Peter was one of those guys, and Peter uh, had a boat, and he owned his own boat, and he caught and sold fish, and he had a partnership. He had a business partnership. Peter and his brother Andrew, along with uh, James and John, who were uh, partners with him, they were the sons of Zebedee. And, and some think that possibly uh, James and John were cousins of Peter. Uh, we don't know that. The Bible doesn't say that. But, uh, but it's kind of interesting to think that Zebedee, their dad, could have been Peter's uncle. Uh, but what we do know is the five of them had a business together, catching fish, selling fish, probably eating a lot of fish, and they made a business of it, and uh, they thrived because they had employees, or other servants who helped serve and take care of, and, and so the business uh, was, was a good business. They did well, and uh, we're going to look at scriptures of that in, in just a moment, but God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary work. One of the Sunday school teachers who had the biggest impact in my life was a guy who was an old wino. I've shared his story before, uh, Clancy Brown. And you know, in the old Wizard of Ed, they used to have the wino and had the purple nose on him. And, well, that's what Clancy Brown looked like. Had a big nose, pockmark, purple nose, and he got saved. And the Lord changed his heart and life. And I remember the Sunday school lessons Clancy Brown taught more than 40 years ago. 
I had him as a teacher. I had him uh, in giving instruction in my class. He was just an ordinary guy, and yet he had a profound impact in my life and in the process of bringing me to salvation and also in the process of God calling me to be a pastor. He was instrumental in that process. So um, you and I cannot be an apostle. The apostles ceased when John died. We don't have apostles today, but we have the completed Word of God. We don't need apostles revealing God's truth. We have the Word of God we need to learn and follow. So you can't be an apostle, but you can be an ordinary person who serves for God. You could teach a Sunday school class or an Awana lesson. You can help. You can serve. You can minister. Hey, even the people who help clean They clean the church facilities. Aren't you glad the restrooms had been cleaned since the last Sunday and especially since Thursday night after all those Awana kids? And and everybody can do something to serve God. Now, before he was saved, before he started trusting Jesus, Peter was a follower of God. He was raised Jewish. He was following the God of the Old Testament. He was trying to understand the Scripture. In fact, he was kind of devout. He uh, gave a testimony in Acts chapter 10 that not one time ever, not one meal, not one snack for his entire life did he ever not follow the Jewish dietary laws. He always did right. Now, we have a few diabetics in the room. Uh, Would you say that not one time, 100% of the time, you've done exactly what you're supposed to do for your necessary diet? I don't think there's anybody who can say that. But Peter could. So Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, his name was Simon growing up, and then Jesus changed his name to Cephas or a stone or a rock, Petros, the Greek word, so he became called Peter. Um, and so uh, Peter and had a brother named Andrew, and Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And that's where we begin in John chapter 1. In uh, John chapter 1 and verse number 35, it says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now, later in this passage, it's going to identify one of those two as Andrew. The other one was probably John himself, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, the writer of the Gospel of John and of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and of the book of Revelation, the one who penned those words. And never once does he use his own name in this whole uh, Gospel. So probably he's the one standing with... um, Andrew, and John the Baptist. So John stood with two of his disciples, Andrew and probably the other John, and looking at Jesus, he walked as he walked. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He was standing with his disciples watching Jesus, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And elsewhere he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the one who would come and die in our place. And so the disciples heard John speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus, turning, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? 
And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak uh, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. In the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, the word was Messiah. In the Greek language of the New Testament, the Christ, it means the same thing. The anointed one, the special one, the one designated by God who would come and lead the people to salvation. So uh, then uh, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. If you study the life of Andrew, Andrew's only mentioned a couple times in Scripture. And every time Andrew's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. And that's pretty cool. I, I, I like that. Now, um, the middle of verse 42, when Jesus looked at Peter, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. You shall be called Petros, from where we get the name Peter. So, um, Philip, or uh, sorry, Andrew went and got Peter, and he took Peter to Christ. So they anticipated that Jesus was the Christ, but they were still fishing for a living. And yet that changes. If you turn over to the Gospel of Mark, and in a minute we'll turn to Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We'll look in Mark, and then in Luke. And they were called to follow and serve. This is the same calling every one of us has. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has called you to serve. He has called you to follow him. So that's what we're all supposed to be doing. So, excuse me, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 16... And as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after Jesus. So we see this uh, camaraderie. They were serving together. They were ministering together. They were both called to serve. We see a, a bigger picture here in Luke chapter 5, if you'll turn there. It, it's a, a longer story of God calling these guys to follow and serve him. In Luke chapter 5. So it says it, says it a little differently, but it's a more complete picture. It's like if you tell a story to somebody, if they're a friend, if they're willing to hear the whole, you'll tell all the details, right? But if you're telling it to someone else, you leave out some of the details. Or if somebody else says to you, tell me the whole story in 30 seconds or less, you're going to leave out a lot of the details. So in Mark, a lot of the details were left out that we find in Luke chapter 5. But it's the same story, the same calling. Verse 1. 
So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, that's the exact same city as the Sea of Gal- or same place. The lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, they're the same place. When you lived in different places, you referred to it as different things. So we had, um, we, if you lived in Galilee... It was the Sea of Galilee, but you lived over in the region of Gennesaret, then it was the Sea of Gennesaret, and and they each had their own name for it. Some of our lakes have that. We have lakes that we share with Canada, and so they have a different name in Canada than they do here. I've said before, my niece who lives in England, uh, we call the Revolutionary War, they call the War of the Insurrection. It's the same thing, just from a different perspective. So the Sea of Gennesaret's the same place as the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was standing by the lake, and he's teaching the people, and they're mobbing him. And he's getting, like, pushed toward the sea. And so he saw two boats standing by the lake. The fishermen had gone from them. They were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And so he moved out into the sea a little bit, and then he sat down in the boat to teach the multitudes. Now, that accomplished two things. It got him a little bit away from the mob of people so that they could each see him and hear him better. But also, water actually um, increases sound. As sound waves go out, they kind of disperse. When they go into dry land, they kind of die out there. But when they hit water, the sound waves bounce. And so when you're in the water and you're yelling to someone on shore, it's a lot easier for them to hear you because the water helps convey the sound, especially water in a lake that doesn't have a lot of waves crashing. So it's going to carry the sound. So it actually was an amplifier of Jesus' voice as he was in the boat speaking to the people. They didn't have microphones in that day. I imagine Jesus had a very loud voice because he could speak to thousands of people without amplification. And so verse 4, when he stopped speaking, doesn't tell us what the message was in this particular passage. And so he said to Simon, now launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, if you're familiar with net fishing, most of the time they do it like from the shallows. They do it from a pier. They do it from a boat in the shallow area. They'll cast their nets and they pull in the fish. And the most successful net fishing is done at night. And they'll cast out their nets. Sometimes they'll lay heavy nets down and then like pull them up to catch all the fish in them. But they had been fishing all night, as Peter said. And verse 5, Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, if you've ever watched uh, net fishing, they're big heavy nets, and they cast them out, and, and it's a hard work, and then to, they have to pull them all back up, and then they have to roll them up just right, get it folded, not rolled, but folded exactly right, so they can throw it out again, and then try and pull in, and they've done it all night long and caught nothing not even a nice little breakfast fish nothing but that's when the fish were normally biting normally in the shallows in the night they could catch the fish and so 
Peter says in the middle of verse 5, Nevertheless, at your word, because they had been following Jesus, they just weren't completely following Jesus. At your word, I will let down the net. So they went out into the deep, and they had a net in the boat, and they threw it out there, and they started to pull up the net. And look what happens in verse 6. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats, so they began to sink. That's impressive. They'd worked all night long and nothing. And then Jesus said, cast your net here, in the middle, in the deepest part. If you're around lakes, they normally go down like this. The deepest part is normally in the middle of the lake. And, and so they were out in the middle, out in the deep, and they cast their nets. And, and that Peter was probably expecting they might get a few fish. They got so many, the boat started to sink. And they got the other boat up there and filled it up, and it started to sink. And look at verse 8, Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, Peter is not saying, Jesus, go away and leave me alone. He's saying, Jesus, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Do you feel that way sometimes? Well, I'm not worthy to do what I do. I'm not worthy to teach a class. I'm not worthy to be called to preach. I'll tell you, when I felt called to preach, I was 19 years old, when I felt God called me into pastoral ministry, and I was pretty sure God made a mistake. Because I knew a lot of other guys that should have been called into preaching, and, and I wasn't. And, and what a surprise. But God gave my testimony, right? Or God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And, and so there were other guys, I, oh, they should be, but God chose me. And I think sometimes God has a really good sense of humor, don't you? Sometimes he does. And he calls the least likely one. In our youth group, Kathy and I were in the same youth group, and if we had had a vote in the youth group, who would be called to preach? They would, my name would have never been on anyone's list unless it was a joke. But God changed my heart changed my life. And ironically, several of the guys in our youth group ended up being pastors, called of God into the ministry. But, but everybody's called to serve. The, the ship was sinking. It was so heavy with fish. And Peter recognized the awesomeness of Jesus. And he said, I'm not worthy to be here in your presence. But Jesus had other ideas. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him, Peter and James and John and Andrew and the servants who helped Zebedee and Zebedee, they were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. These were professional fishermen. They fished on that sea their whole lives. They'd been doing it for years and years and years. They'd never seen anything like this. Verse 10, also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. That's how we know they were in a partnership together. 
And Jesus then said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Okay, notice what it doesn't say. They got their fish ready for market. They sold their fish, had a good supply of money, and then they followed Jesus. They got the ships to land and walked away. And Zebedee lost his best four partners, James, John, Peter, and Andrew. They walked away. Now, probably the other guys working there took up the slack. They probably hired some other guys. It might have worked out really well for the other guys. We know it worked out great for Andrew and Peter and, si- and Paul, Andrew and Peter and John and James. It worked out great for them. Because they walked with Jesus. Now, at this point, they're disciples. At this point, they're doing exactly what you and I do. We are called to follow Jesus. We are called to be fishers of men. We are called to put forth the effort to get the net out there, to try and reach people with the gospel message. We're called to do what we can to influence people for Christ. They're doing exactly what you and I are called to do. But they were also then called to lead, if you look in chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, in verse number 12. Luke six twelve. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Now, What did Jesus do before he called the disciples? He went out and prayed. How long did he pray? What does it mean to pray all night? Have you ever done that? To to be honest with you, the only time that I know of Kathy and I praying all night is when we faced a crisis and we couldn't sleep. And so we were up and praying all night. Um, and and it, it, it was a very difficult situation we were going through. But Jesus wasn't going through a difficult situation. He did that later in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying to God in the night. But here, he's praying for wisdom. Now, Jesus is God. He's God the Son and the Son of God. He never sinned. Ever, not once. He never had a sinful thought. He never did a sinful deed. He always responded appropriately. He obeyed his parents, even when he was fully conscious of the fact that he was the Son of God, and he still submitted to his earthly parents. Some of you kids could learn a lesson there. Jesus was a teenage boy submitting to his earthly parents, even though he knew he was the Son of God. 
he honored God's word and God's command for children to obey their parents and honor their parents. Jesus did all that. And yet he's praying, so he had no sins to confess. But he spent all night communing and talking with the Father. The scriptures don't tell us what that prayer was about. They don't tell us if Jesus was saying, Father, I have all these disciples and I need to pick some, and we don't have the voice of God speaking from heaven, pick Peter. We don't have that. We don't know what went on. But we do know this. Jesus sought God in prayer all night. See, prayer is a very important thing. I read a story about a deacon's meeting. The pastor and the deacons were meeting, and and one of the deacons was extremely wealthy, kind of like the deacons in our church. (laughs) Not, but but one one of them was extremely wealthy, and the church had a financial need. And so the pastor presented this need to the deacon group, and one of the deacons said, the wealthy one said, well, I'll give $50 toward the project. And the project was to repair the ceiling and the roof of the church. At that exact moment when the guy said, I'll give $50, a a piece of the roof of the ceiling fell down and hit him on the head. And he said, make that a hundred. And one of the other deacons said, hit him again, Lord, hit him again. (laughs) But, But, you know, we have this idea that Prayer and sacrifice are for other people sometimes. You know, somebody calls you and say, there's nothing we can do. I guess we'll have to pray as if it's come to that. (laughs) Prayer should be your first thing. Now, I'm not saying you get out in your car and you're pulling out of our parking lot and you stop in the middle of the drive and you pray, Lord, should I turn left? Or turn right. No, when you follow Jesus, you always go straight away, right? No. I'm not saying you have to pray over every minute thing. Lord, I'm about to get dressed. Should I put on my left sock or my right sock first? Don't treat God silly. But you know what? We should spend a lot more time in prayer, maybe, maybe, than we do. I know there's some of you who really pray. Now, some of you are prayer partners with Kathy and I, and we share burdens, private burdens with you. What a blessing it is to know there's people praying for me every single day. But prayer was so important to Jesus, he spent all night. How important is prayer to you? So I think it's important for us to remember this is a spiritual ministry that must be accomplished a spiritual way. And so we desperately need God to be involved, and we need to pray. So let's just do that right now, okay? You just pray for God's work in your heart and life, and in a moment I will lead us in prayer.
Father, we thank you for Jesus modeling the importance of prayer, and we especially thank you that when we pray, you listen. I know the Bible shares sometimes when you don't answer prayer, but you always answer genuine prayer. When people genuinely pour out their heart before you, you listen. And sometimes I don't listen to people. My kids could all tell stories of a time when their dad wasn't listening. But nobody can tell a story when their heavenly father wasn't listening. Thank you for hearing our prayers and guiding our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there, there was a purpose for having the apostles. And that purpose was the apostles were to be mentored by Jesus. Wouldn't that have been cool? Mentored by Jesus so then they could share his message and fulfill his work. And they could accomplish his will on planet earth. They were ordinary guys called out to a a glorious and vital ministry. Now, Jesus called two sets of brothers, right? James and John, Peter and Andrew. Jesus wasn't worried about nepotism. On our church staff, we have some people who were related to each other. But God's not worried about nepotism. He wants people who are committed and who are competent. And as long as we as a church seek to put people in ministry that are committed and competent, it's fine if they're related to each other. I mean, your pastor has been related to your pastor's wife for a long time. Aren't you glad? I am. But, but God called them. So uh, they, they had a history of working together. They, these four guys, two sets of brothers, they worked together. They had a, a, a long history of serving together. So it was an easy transition to bring them into the apostles. Some of the other guys, though, Matthew and Simon were natural enemies. Simon the Zealot. Uh, Simon the Zealot. A zealot was somebody who hated Rome. A zealot was somebody who was an insurrectionist. He was doing everything he could to throw off Rome. They were planning skirmishes. They were, they did all kind, they were like uh, minor terrorists in Israel trying to overthrow the government of Rome. They weren't as vicious as some of the terrorists today. But they were. And they brought terror into the hearts of people. And Matthew was a tax collector in Israel, collecting money for the Roman government. So you have Simon the Zealot, who's trying to overthrow Rome and is an insurrectionist. And you have Matthew, the guy who's collecting money to help finance Rome. They're at odds with each other but they became partners in the work of God. See, when, when we get serious about following God, people who used to be enemies can become partners. People who used to have animosity toward each other, they can develop friendship with each other because Jesus makes us family. The Bible tells us that James, the apostle, was killed by Herod the Tetrarch. History tells us that Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, 
and Peter were each crucified. Peter was crucified upside down because he said he didn't feel worthy to die the way his Savior died. John was boiled in oil and later banished and exiled to the rocky little island of Patmos, and later he died in Ephesus. James, the son of Alphaeus, another of the apostles, was stoned to death. These guys paid a heavy price. They suffered. And and listen, when you get called into leadership, it's a blessing and a burden. Serving God, even within the church, serving as a deacon, serving as a pastor, serving as a trustee, serving as a teacher in the church. Um, We've had people say really mean things about our pastor and our deacons. They were wrong. They misunderstood things. But it was harsh. And we got through it. Because God blesses and enriches. But when you're called to lead, you're also called to put a target on your back. And people take pot shots at whoever's in leadership. Look at what our country does to politicians. As soon as a person gets elected, even the people who helped him get elected start turning against them. And journalists act like their mission in life is to an expose on that person. So sometimes being in leadership is a burden. But let me tell you something from somebody who's been doing it for a long time. If God calls you into leadership, do it. It's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the difficulty because you need to honor God in your life. You need to be where God calls you to be. You need to serve in the way God equips you to serve. And some of the spiritual gifts are showing mercy and gifts of help. And some are leading. And God has different spiritual gifts that he gives to you. And you need to serve God some way, the way he calls you to serve. We are ordinary people. We have done uh, Ancestry.com. Our oldest daughter paid for Kathy and I to be tested, and mine didn't work, so I had to send in another one. But it's interesting, and and you see we're 60% here, 30% there, 3% here, 2% there. We're just a hodgepodge. All of us are what I would call mutts. None of us are pure breed. We're ordinary people called by an awesome God to do his extraordinary work of following Jesus and reaching people for Christ. Our life on planet Earth will end. From my perspective, hopefully it's not anytime soon unless it's the rapture, right? But our time on earth will end. I have preached funerals for a lot of people who are younger than I am now. Our time on earth will end. 
I've preached funerals for teenagers, for people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. I've preached funerals for kids who never made their teenage years. But when our life on earth ends, you need to have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Asked him to forgive your sins and save your soul. And you need to be serving God. When I was uh, 12 or 13, I don't remember how old I was, there was a young lady in our church who was 18, and she had a heart problem. Uh, uh, heart, I don't remember what the problem was, but she felt called of God to go and work at youth camp. And she really felt God burden her heart, and her dad didn't want her to go. He didn't think she could handle the high altitude because it was a mile higher than the city of Albuquerque. We were going up on the mountain there, and he thought that would be too high an altitude for her. But she really prayed about it, really felt that's what God wanted her to do. So she went up on the mountain. And while she was up there on the mountain, she died of a heart attack at 18 years old. And the night she died, she had responded to the service to dedicate her life to the Lord. She was going to spend her whole life serving God. And after the service, a young lady came up to her with questions. And she sat down with her Bible, and she opened her Bible, and she shared with that young lady how she could be saved. And she led that young lady to Christ. Within an hour, she herself was with Christ. What a way to go. Wouldn't it be amazing whatever day you go to have just led someone to Christ and then you're with Christ? We don't know how long we'll live. Our life on earth will end and on that day, Our faithfulness to Christ while we were on earth and our faithfulness to his calling in our life, those will be the two things that matter the most. Have we received him as Savior? Have we been faithful to follow him? Have we been faithful to serve him? None of us can be called to be an apostle. Not all of us will will be called to be a pastor. But all of us are called to serve ordinary people, serving an extraordinary God to accomplish spiritual things. What's your calling? What's your response? Father, may we each follow you wholeheartedly. We don't know the future, but we know the one who holds the future. May we be faithful to you as you allow our future to unfold. May we love you, honor you, follow Christ, serve him, minister to people, draw others to salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand, please? I started to say stand with me, but I don't think I'll make it. Stand, please, as we sing.